Spider-Man has a new face. And not a Halloween mask. Well, hello there, and welcome to Triangle Square, a PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me as we start our month-long October set that we always do, or at least second year in a row. <laughs> I think we did it the year before that, so maybe it's the third year in a row. You can let us know. But joining me is Mr. Solomon. Oh, I think I say Saul Bridges, like you normally do. Nope. Hello, Saul Bridges here, bringing you guys Lucky Episode 182. For those that don't know, stick around at the very end of the episode where you can hear our links and all kinds of good sources of information or where you can find us at after the show. For those who didn't know, Solomon is Saul's real name. But you're, also, you're a missed target not completely. Yeah, yeah, you're a little you're slightly off target there. There's a It's his full middle name? What do they call your middle name traditionally? Because you have your first name and your surname. Middle name? What, always... what, what are you on about? I'm saying, like, was there ever something beforehand? Because, like, we called last name last name, but before that it was surname. I don't think, was a middle name even a thing back when surnames were the way to say last name? I don't know. Or were they just your Someone name? Someone who's a great historian, please let us know. Yeah, I, I always figured they were part of the name. I don't know. That's a good question, because realistically, you know, my name is supposed to be hyphenated. Brett, Sla- Brett hyphen Beck. Or sorry, Brett hyphen Austin. I'm dumb, but that ended up not flying, so it ends up like most of my stuff shows Austin as my. Isn't your first name. name Christopher? No, good lord, <laughs> Christopher Brett Austin Beck. That would be so weird. It would be the four the four name thing is something that I think has to really work with the name you craft. Otherwise, it just comes off sounding like pretentious. Yeah, it's like I've, I've heard a Reginald. couple. <laughs> <laughs> Aloysius Johnston. Yeah, the third. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a good little Easter egg for the Little Rascal movie from the 1990s, in case you didn't know. Waldo Aloysius Johnston III. Which, to be fair, that's not four names. It's just still a pretentious name. Aloysius it's very, is pretentious. Well, it's meant to be pretentious. Yeah. Donald Trump was his daddy. <laughs> Go figure. Do y'all remember the 90s when Trump was just in every movie? Interesting time. But we are not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about games. And the way we like to start off doing that it's a very simple, honored time, honored rather, tradition of, Saul, what have you been up to and what have you been playing? I've only played one game this week, and it's weird to say that because we filmed the episode for last week on Tuesday, mm. so we've only not really seen each other for four days, and mm-hmm. then not even that, we hung out at work on Friday in a way, so it's one of those things where it's kind of Dude, they might be weird. listening. <laughs> well, it was break time, obviously, but um, I played one game this week. And I just started doing it yesterday. You and that, just started doing it? Yeah, I just started playing it. And that is Fallout 4 on Xbox again. Okay. With a crap ton of mods. I had a feeling. Did that game get a 1X update? I don't remember. Uh, I don't know. It looks 4K. So I would say yes. Hmm, I don't know. It's, it's, it wouldn't surprise be, me. You know it what could I mean? be some of the mods that I have installed because I have a couple of visual mods on there. But for the most part, I've been really enjoying it. The hardest part about that game... It's like when you try to role play a character and create a cool backstory, it's almost impossible in Fallout 4. Push to a full 4K. Yeah, okay. And it's 1440p upscaled on PlayStation 4 Pro. Oh, I didn't know that. Cool. Um, How does it help with the game's frame rate? Because what, And I haven't played the game even on PS4 Pro, but frame rate is typically so CPU bound on current gen consoles that I have a hard time 
wondering. I mean, they're a little overclocked, so would, were they able to at least get it to a more solid 30? Because that game did have some frame rate problems, which is not surprising. I want to notice like two or three frame rate drops, and I think that the frame rate drops itself are because it's because I'm running. Um, it's called True Storms, which is a mod that's both on Skyrim and on Fallout, mm-hmm. but it's like really, really dense. Oh yeah, the really, weather mod. Yeah, it's yeah. really, really dense, really, really loud thunder and rain, and. It did that, and I guess at the same time, it was foggy. So it was like rain real bad, foggy, and dark. So When the well, lightning cracks, because I've never done it, but when the lightning cracks, does it kind of, yeah, like, it, you see it actually? You see it, and then it actually illuminates That's what I was everything wondering too. pretty well. Yeah. Um, I, I saw a couple frame rate drops during that instance, but other than that, like, no, like, nothing that I've seen other than that. And granted, I've only been playing for... I downloaded it yesterday, like five. I played it for like an hour, getting everything set up, and then I pl- started playing it for like two or three today. Okay, yeah, that's it. But that's all I've been playing. Well, let's let's see. I went back and beat the order again, which I don't remember if that had been the case when we recorded. I you, thought so. You did, yeah. So then after that, I decided to start a little bit of Judgment. I can't remember if that was also something, but if it wasn't, I downloaded that from my game share buddy and. Got to try that out because I went back to play Yakuza 0 a while back. And since it came out before Kiwami, it had a lot of differences that I wasn't a big fan of. So I wanted to see with Judgment being technically an, a new IP as a kind of a spinoff from the Yakuza world. Which also, those developers, I'm not saying anything bad about them. They are the kings at making sure they can reuse this same city and same block setup, same basic map, slightly changed across multiple games. Because it's the same map that's in Yakuza 0, it's the same map that's in Yakuza Kiwami, and now it's in Judgment. Um, Judgment does change things up in how it chooses to play. It's more of like a detective thriller set in this universe, and I'm enjoying it for that, but it still has combat that you'd expect. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, it's a little changed up. It has its own thing. But this is the weird thing that I know is probably going to be one of those things for a lot of people. I did not mind the game in its uh, subbed form in yakuza kiwami but it's just something that i would rather not have to deal with and they have quite a good cast of people including mark hamill in this game so i went ahead and did it with the english voiceovers and i just find that it makes the game something i doesn't feel like as much work i don't know how to describe it other than that but i have never been a uh, a sub over dub kind of person anyway i think sometimes that can be true some forms of Japanese media that comes over here gets really bad voice acting. And that is a time where maybe that's necessary, but it's pretty good. So, so far I didn't get too far in it, but I do like it and I think I'll continue playing it. Uh, but then I went back and finished kingdoms of Amalur. I got mm-hmm. to the very end of it, beat it. Uh, I'm unsure if I want to platinum it right now. I just waiting to see. Uh, and then of course I started crash bandicoot four. Which I picked up. How is that so far? Really good. And it's interesting. Because I was talking with one of the listeners of the show who has his own podcast. Go check it out. It is the Conspiracy Theory Podcast. What's it called? Conspiracy. Josh's podcast? Yes. Um, Help me. I, I can't. It's, it's I'm brain dead Spotify right now. stuff, I'm sure. But that's okay. Go check it out if you can find it. It's Beer City Media is what he does it under. So go find it that way. Josh, hope you like to shout out. But... He messaged me because he started playing it, and it was kind of the same thing. A couple of weeks ago, I'm sure a lot of you... Conspiracy therapy. Conspiracy therapy. There you go. Go check it out. But um, 
we were talking about Crash 4 because I think he had very similar... I've said them on the show before, but something about the way that it looked when they first showed it off, the art style change was something that took a little bit to get used to, but now that I'm seeing it, it feels a little less just like a continuation of Spyro Reignited. It feels a little more unique than that now that I'm a little more used to it and seeing it more in action. But also, my biggest concerns were from looking at the little snippets. It looked like their way of making everybody want to jump on it was going to be, hey, in everything we show, make sure that we show stuff that looks exactly out of the original trilogy. Which I understand when you're going to make a four after there have been so many Crash games between the original three and now you're jumping to a real numbered sequel. You have the problem that, I don't know, if you know, you played Crash games as a kid, right? Yeah. Okay. Did you ever end up playing the PS2 ones that were after Naughty Dog quit making it? No. So there was Wrath of Cortex and then there was Twin Sanity. And those are the last two I can remember. There's plenty after, but uh, it was like Crash Team Racing. Actually, I did play Wrath stuff. of Cortex. Yeah, Not so, extensively, though. So Wrath of Cortex ends up getting a lot of flack because the game ends up feeling like a very uninspired copy, but kind of a poor one, despite not being the worst game in the world, but of Crash Bandicoot 3. It's like, let's just keep doing more of the exact same instead of doing anything new. And then Twin Sanity, of course, shaked it up by being like, well, this is what we're going to try and do to introduce this. But one thing I think this has done really well that I was worried that it was trying to do kind of like Twin Sanity did, where it's like, let's show everybody exactly what you liked about the original Crash so that we can get you into thinking it'll be good, but let's not do enough different to make it really unique. They've done enough different. The game actually, the levels are way longer. It's much more challenging. I was very proud of Kyrie because last night she almost got through the entire first level completely by herself. And the first level is much harder than the first level of Crash 1. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's honestly, it's insanity <laughs> how much different the game is from a challenge standpoint. But it's really well done. It's really fun. And I like the challenge. I think it's going to be a much harder platinum. But I'm enjoying it so far. So if you were worried about the game feeling too different, I've played through. One of the big things I like about it so far, too, is that they're doing a world hub uh, or a hub world style that's a lot more similar to Crash Bandicoot 1 where you see the maps that you're in and you kind of work around them on the little level nodes and you see your character travel across that over map, uh, which I always thought was an awesome thing about Crash Bandicoot 1, but I understood why they dropped it in 2 and 3. Well, it being back here is really cool and they're doing a dimension jump to where you do four to maybe five levels and maybe a hidden level per dimensional area and you're kind of going through dimensional gates and so far i've already played four different ones and they're very different from each other and it it reminds you of some of the best parts of crash 3 where you're going between what feels like different timelines but also just completely different basic styles where sometimes it can be like out in the past and be prehistoric or it'll be like a pirate era or you'll be in a futuristic era or a very machine, you know, driven era. So it's cool. There's a lot of variety. It's, it's much, it's a really good challenge. And I think that anybody who is a big fan of three will really like this. My only complaint so far, and it's not the worst is that the slide jump loses all of your momentum whenever you go to jump. So in the last ones where your slide jump would go and you'd carry that momentum and get that height. Mm -hmm. Instead, you kind of like slide, you jump and you get a lot of height but you lose mo- pretty all much forward. all your forward momentum. Yeah. But the game is clearly designed with this in mind. So while I think it would be better to still have the original one, and I don't think it would really change much of the design thing, there's no part in this game that feels like you absolutely can't do it because of that. But good so far. So go check it out if it's been interesting you. And so far, I think maybe it will definitely earn its $60 
price point, but we'll find that out. So, first thing we got to hop into, and I'm bad because I didn't pull it up, the is the community stake. This time around, we had one submitted by a good buddy of the show, Cody McGinnis. He says, if you can merge two game developers to use both of their skills and specialties to make one ultimate game, what devs would you choose and what game would you have them make? Now, we mentioned at the end of last episode that we've actually kind of answered something similar to this ourselves. So this being community's take. We're going to focus on all of you guys like Eric McAllister. He says, Remedy and Frogwares, Alan Wake 2. That's actually a really good answer. I'm not so unsure that something in that regard is not going to happen anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, they got Remedy got the rights to Alan Wake back, and that's part of why they're using the Alan Wake stuff into the Control universe uh, and kind of setting up a multiverse. I'm curious if Remedy across the board is going to be attempting at kind of making all of their games set in the same universe or not. I'd be curious, because wouldn't that mean that... Um, what's that other Remedy game that you played a while back? Oh, uh, Quantum... Quantum Break? Yeah, Quantum Break. No, quantum that, that won't be. It, it's Quantum Break. Okay. Um, but... I don't think it's that. I think it's moving forward with the ones that they have full ownership over Mm -hmm. because I'm fairly positive Xbox retained all ownership to Quantum Break. Even though it was really a pretty solid game. I liked it a lot. There's a very specific style to Remedy's games that I really enjoy. Uh, And you got to think, because Max Payne was originally Remedy, but they do not own that right. They don't own those anymore either. So if Control and Alan Wake in any game they choose to do moving forward, or if they just choose to kind of do each one of those and kind of have weird moments to intercross. It could be interesting. I'm, I don't know. Hmm. Alan Wake is a very, it's one of those things where most of the people who love it, I've never played it. Um, I've played it, but I've never beat it. I've played it very shortly though, uh, because it was back when I worked at GameStop and one of the people there was just a, a stand of it as they call them. And, um, we played it while we were waiting for a midnight release one night. Cause we just had it there. So I popped it into one of our Xboxes and it was interesting. I never did go back and try it, so that might be something I do with my Xbox. I like the original one. Yeah, it. It's the game. I mean, I'm trying to remember. It's it had the flashlight time. mechanic, right? Yeah. and that was a big part of it. Yeah, like I said, I don't know much about it. I know that people love it, and that's. I guess that's all that ultimately matters. Uh, speaking of games that someone loves, I guess I should give a shout out to Mr. Todd. He sent this to me, and this is a full, complete. I swear to you, the discs are perfect. It's That's insanity, crazy actually. It, uh, he said he bought it, and he never got around to playing it. So I'm not sure if that means he was the original purchaser back when it originally came out or if he bought it from someone else with intentions to play it and never got around to it. But I have heard literally so many of our fans talk about this game uh, from Liam. God, I, Josh has talked about it. Randy. Randy, it was one of the big people that talked about it, and he was—I knew he was going to be one of the ones to comment. So, thank you, Todd. Really appreciate it. Uh, I'm looking forward to playing it, and I'm kind of debating right now whether I want to play it on PS1 and get like the full on because I have my slim in there, or if I just want to play it on PS3 because it's a little easier to play on PS3. Yeah, we'll find out. Go buy you a CRT TV and plug up. Really your, do it. Yeah, yeah, I've I've legitimately thought about buying a Sony one of the flat screen ones they did um i'm skipping out on the name right now they were they were amazing they're they were flat screen crtv so they looked really great and they still went up to high definition resolutions uh, hmm. i think 720p may have been as high as they went 
but I really, really want one. Still HD nonetheless. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's really weird, and, and it works so much better. Like, I was kind of trepidatious. I played – oh, I, I did play Sonic Adventure. I think I talked about that Tuesday still. Yeah. But I did play Sonic Adventure on this, and I played it again since. And I was a little worried when hooking up to our uh, confidence monitor TV that we used to do everything that – it was not going to work very well due to it being an HD TV. One thing I was surprised at is that the Dreamcast automatically has it set to progressive scan. So when you're starting the console up, the Sega Start thing does not have the black bars on the side. It fills out the entire 16.9. Interesting. Uh, now, the games themselves progressive scan up to having on this particular TV about two inches of black bar on each side, but they look good. Hmm. So... Dreamcast was ahead of its time, man. It was. Just, just like the Vita. <laughs> yeah, just like the Vita. They're going to die out. But... Matt Green says, Hello Games and 505 Games, only because No Man's Sky and Abzu Underwater would be amazing. So who, you need to go check out Subnautica. Who was the developer of Abzu? I have no it, clue. It was some, I'm going to assume 505 Games. No, he, 505 was the publisher, I thought. Um, which, actually, I know that they were. But I'm trying to remember the team behind it, because I think it was... Uh, that game got a lot of stuff about being similar to Journey, but underwater. And if I remember Giant correctly... Squid. Yeah, and see if it's somebody, if you while you're there, see if it was a developer that was with the people who made Journey, which I'm skipping out on, that game company. Uh, I want to say, oh, they're the ones behind The Pathless. That's coming out that's very soon. That's the only two games they've done, it looks like. Interesting. I'm fairly positive that that's who that is. Uh, so interesting, to, t- to say the least. Uh, I'm going to pull over on Facebook, which is where we originally were submitted the question, and... I guess I'm going to go over and actually grab Cody's because that would be fun. He says, well, since Xbox bought Bethesda, I would like to see maybe Rockstar and Gorilla make a star. Excuse me. Rockstar and Gorilla make a star citizen type game first and third person with planet exploration along the likes of No Man's Sky. So kind of like a Rockstar and Gorilla version of essentially Starfield. Yeah, that'd be interesting. From what we're seeing from Starfield so far. That would be interesting. I like how he says, so I'm assuming originally Bethesda was somewhere in this, but I guess he was just deciding to take a PlayStation take on it and say, because cr- clearly Gorilla's involved with PlayStation. But. Well, speaking of Bethesda in a weird way, Derek on Twitter says, Gearbox and Obsidian Entertainment, Fallout New Vegas remake. So I saw that, and I'm really interested as to why. I'm, I mean, it's a I want to see a Fallout New Vegas remake because I think that as much as I love that game, it clearly has problems from being on the same engine as Fallout 3 and, of course, Obsidian. But why Gearbox? Is the way that Borderlands is handled make you think that they would do a really great job? I'm not nearly as big of a Borderlands fan, so I'm curious. That's the only series I can think of that gives me a similar feeling. Uh, Oh, Half-Life? I I didn't think about it. What's that? Half-Life. Did they do the PS2 port of Half-Life 2? I have no clue. It just says Half-Life. I must say that, well, they clearly Gearbox weren't the original. Gearbox has developed a total of six games in the Half-Life series and expansions packs. Opposing Force and Blue Shift ports of Half-Life for the Dreamcast. I did not know that was a thing. Which included Blue Shift and Half-Life for the PlayStation 2, which included Half-Life Decay. Hmm. So there we go. The eerie I, world of Half Life with the narrative of Obsidian is actually kind of, or a new of Audio Vegas made by Obsidian is actually pretty cool sounding. If Gearbox were the people that were in responsible for the eerie world of Half Life, then maybe I'd agree. But I actually think where this is going is more focused around the fact that the one real downside, and I'll give Fallout Four this: I do not think Fallout Four is even remotely close to the best Fallout game. But I will say that Fallout Four 
was very smart in choosing to make sure they shook up the shooting mechanics a lot because both Fallout 4 and Fallout 76 play much more like, not exactly, but much more like, and use Destiny as part of their um, inspiration behind the way they wanted the shooting to feel. And that was smart because the shooting in both Fallout 3 and in New Vegas are rough. Well, you can actually thank Fallout New Vegas for that because when they started development on Fallout 4, they used Fallout New Vegas as a idea of how the shooting wants to be because Fallout New Vegas was the first, it's, it's really the only, Fallout first-person game to remove dice rolling. Mm. Fallout 3 had dice rolling. Fallout New Vegas did not. So they kind of started getting their hands on it with why they decided that they were going to take this first-person shooting mechanic. And when you think about it, too, it's kind of interesting that Sky, or not Sky, Oblivion didn't have dice rolling. But Morrowind did. But Morrowind did. And uh, it's interesting to think about. So New Vegas kind of opened the gates on more of a shooter-type genre. But I will say, New Vegas had better RPG elements in all of these games. Yep. I will say Fallout 4 did make it better with, or make it make it better than Fallout 3 with the uh, Pip-Boy perk chart Yes, it had yeah. was interesting. But they also completely got rid of the RPG elements that really made New Vegas great, which is going really deep into your side mechanics like okay, I want to make my character dumb, but that dumbness can actually change what options they have in the gameplay to them because people feel differently about them based off their intelligence level. And it gives you new things to say and do. I like that. I like games. It's part it's of why I love... It's writing, too. Yeah, they that's wanted also more ways obsidian. to incorporate their writing, in a way. Yeah, for sure. And I think you see a lot of that in the way that uh, the Outer Worlds ended up playing. And I also think that the shooting mechanics in the Outer Worlds were much better, as well, um, than both New Vegas and Fallout 3. So, But... Yeah, I I have to assume the idea there is really good first person shooting, which I will give. But uh, I'll give uh, Gearbox is that the Borderlands series does feel good to shoot with. It like does play on. So if you kind of take that, and even if you look at some of the, you know, would be interesting is that if there, if you bring any of the gear ideas into Fallout New Vegas or not. What do you mean? Like, because you know, all of the Gearbox and Borderlands series is all about having. I don't think you should have millions upon millions of guns, but do you want to make it kind of a looter shooter to an extent? Ah, see, that's where Fallout New Four did a really good job because don't forget about legendary weapons on yeah, Fallout Four, and that's what and I'm then saying. on top of do you bring that in? Do you bring that back and do it more Gearbox style than than the way that they so did with some, Fallout Four and um, seventy six? Something I'm focusing now on Fallout Four the most is crafting and crafting my own stuff for my weapons because it never occurred to me because the way Fallout Three and New Vegas handled this is that. Everything in that game that is not ammo, a weapon, or clothing is junk, and you don't need it. Oh, An yeah. ashtray, a clipboard, that all now in Fallout 4 has a purpose. Yeah. yeah. So maybe maybe they are on the right steps to having something kind of made that way, judging off of how they made it last time. But you got to think about it. Fallout 4 is Bethesda, so Obsidian would be it'd be more like Outer Worlds mixed with Borderlands to make a new Fallout New Vegas remake. Yeah, I'd be cool with that. I really like the Outer Worlds. I do too. One cool one that I like over here is uh, Nicholas Horder, one of our newer members in the Facebook group. He says, Sucker Punch and Respawn, a big, beautiful, open-world Star Wars game with Titanfall-esque movement and the ability to hijack AT-ATs and whatnot for mech combat. With a morality system like Infamous for light or dark side, multiple planets, overthinking, an entirely hypothetical situation. Ah, I love what this, we though. wanted uh, Fallen Order to be. And I liked Fallen Order, but I do think that there's a clear miss, and I won't say miss. Clear, we've got an A game that lets you kind of do this with... Um, how am I forgetting the name of the... Probably, I mean, I, I don't know which one I like more, but... What are you talking about? Is it a Star Wars game? Yep. When did it come With out? With the clone. And Are you talking about Ro- uh, 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 
We, I've done it. I've done it now. Force Unleashed. There we oh, are. I, you said, That's, okay, you said clone, and my brain went to clone troopers, and I was thinking of the squad shooter game, which was also really good. The well, Xbox, technically, Rogue, was it Rogue Commander or something? Yeah, technically the clone wasn't until Force Unleashed 2, to be fair, actually. Uh, you Spoilers. Were, but, I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. But, yeah, I liked that that game was more about letting you go through the Star Wars fantasy, which should be, if you're making a, a power game, fantasy. a power fantasy over you wanting to be good or bad. I mean, I honestly think that a game that's made in that infamous style with that morality system, definitely if you make them very hard gray moral decisions, and even better if you do tiers, have it be a little bit more... Even when I say that, like, Second Son was too black and white, Infamous 2 was a lot less black and white, but they were still one decision or the other. I would love for multiple decisions to an extent where it's not just a binary uh, decision. Even though you can make a binary decision morally gray and makes it more fun to choose, I'd like multiple. That way, you know, one of the things about the deeper Star Wars lore that's really fun is how many different sub-levels of Jedi there are based off of where your morality stands. Yeah. And that would be cool to bring that in and be like, oh, well, I'm a gray Jedi, or I'm this, and even go as far as to have... We've still never seen a gray Jedi in, like, canon material, like, newer canon material, I yeah, should say. since they've killed all the extended universe. <laughs> but that's how you do that stuff to me, and I love that idea. I think it's really cool. So that's a good one. I'm going to go over here real quick and get another one from Facebook, and then I'll let you grab one. Okay. Uh, Josh Drago says, Insomniac Games and Santa Monica Studios making a reboot of Resistance series with gameplay with God of War graphics and no loading screens. Interesting. That would be interesting. Um, I was like Gorilla, though. I don't know. I mean... Yeah, actually, from a tech standpoint, yeah, Gorilla would be pretty well, yeah, crazy. For, for like no loading screens and the visuals. Yeah, but I mean, Santa Monica do a lot visually. I mean, they are visual gurus in their own way. True, I mean, look and, at God of War. Yeah, you look at, I mean, God of War is a big one, but even if you want to look, I'd say God of War 3 was more technically impressive to its time period on the system that it came out with than God of War 2018 was in comparison to its system because Gorilla had already come out with something like Horizon. Yeah. You had, you had a bunch of other very high graphical games. Uh, Gorilla really know how to push consoles as well. So if you think about the fact that Killzone 2 was a very graphically pushing game as well with a lot of smart choices on post-processing. So I think both Santa Monica and Gorilla have proved themselves at different points in time. It's just, you know, I, I think when I really think about God of War 2018, as much as I do think it's a beautiful game, I honestly think about just superb writing. Yeah. If I was going to say anything. I, I mean, realistically... I I think that the Resistance game never had too bad of pacing considering the games they were trying to be. And then Resistance 3 trying to pull it in and be a more personal experience and less military. They did a pretty good job with the story. But yeah, for some fantastic writing alongside that would go a long way. Um, I'm going to do two more, you think? Uh, let's get them off Discord then. Okay. And clear our Discord peeps in here. Go ahead. Um, Shave Dog 247 or 247 on Discord <laughs> says an easy one would be Square Enix and Naughty Dog with a Tomb Raider slash Uncharted crossover game. Mm. What I'd throw my wallet at is SIE San Diego Studio in collaboration with Troant Pixel to bring MLB the show or sports champions to full VR. Holy, yeah. In my opinion, no one has nailed a throwing mechanic like Truant uh, has with a 2, 2MD VR football. You get those together and good things will happen. It'll go a bit further and say if you pair Truant with any sports dev, EA, uh, in parentheses, it would be good. Now take my money. Interesting. 
You know, I haven't really thought about the fact that sports games have not... I mean, they've definitely been in VR, but they weren't as quick to come with options that I think that you saw like PS Move and the Wii do with motion controls with sports games. When realistically, there's some, of course, and VR has been around long enough, but sports games were like an easy thing for motion games. And I've not seen that be near as tapped into on VR as I would have expected. That's a good one. They could even sell peripherals. They have like a bat that you can use as like a bat or a golf club. See, the weird thing well, about that is while, while I actually like that, and I thought that was one of the better ideas for like move and whatnot, uh, and even honestly, I thought that was one of the biggest takeaways, the problems with something like Connect um, when it first came around, and it was supposed to be no controller. Yeah. The problem with that is it feels more stupid to shoot a gun with nothing in your hands than it does to shoot a gun even with just a fake controller in your hand. Yeah, because it's more about the immersion of holding something, whereas you're just holding air. Like, if you actually look at first-person shooters, I don't think Connect ever had one that worked, and realistically. I don't think it ever even happened. They showed off ideas, but if you want to look at a game from PS Move that actually exceeded pretty well within the limitations of that uh, stuff. Both Resistance 3 and Killzone 3 had um, Sharpshooter, the move Sharpshooter support in it, and I beat the entirety of Killzone 3 with a Sharpshooter and loved every second of it. It was fantastic. I couldn't believe how good it was. I was a little bummed that Resistance didn't feel as good, but still, we got clearly great examples of it. I think the idea of having that stuff works. There's another PS Move game I love that was called Sorcery, and it works pretty well because the natural PS Move wand would end up, they use the LEDs to glow like the end of a wand would. Mm -hmm. So you didn't need one for something like that. But even then, I probably would have bought an actual wand. I like the idea of getting immersed by having something in your hands that feels like it. And maybe like with Move, it was cool that it looked like it. In VR, you don't need to see it. What happens in VR and what was really cool about games like um, uh, Firewall um, is the idea of having a gun that you feel in the real world, but when you look down at the game, you see the gun that you're actually using, and the disconnect kind of stops. Yeah. So that's cool. I like that idea. So good, good one. A man after your own heart, our good buddy Swanlin, he says, Monoliths off and Bungie to mix what Bungie is doing with Destiny in an action JRPG setting of Xeno as well as Genshin. So now imagine this, a third-person Destiny game, but it's a JRPG, and it's a single-player-only experience with using classes, abilities, stuff of that nature from Destiny Universe that you already know, but set in the third-person way you always wanted it with no online components at all. I wouldn't mind online components, but I I actually think this would be smart. I know that it'll probably never happen. No. But I would really like to see Bungie take Destiny and keep the main series going, but expand the lore by doing side games. Yes. Why not? Why not? They did did with Halo. That's what I mean. ODST got a side game. ODST was a side game of still first-person shooter, but very different mechanics within that. Then you got Halo Wars, which lets you expand the universe in its own way with that. And, I mean, they've done some other side stuff, but those are the primary Technically, things. Reach was the last Bungie game Bungie worked on, wasn't it? Yeah. So, Reach. Even yeah. Though that was the origin of everything. Yeah. That's also based off a book. But I like the idea of just being bold enough to say, we're going to do something. Okay, it's a weird example, but it is an interesting one. Killzone 1 for the PS2 was a first-person shooter. But because the PS2 wasn't really defined, right? But because the PS2 wasn't really refined as well as the Xbox was to being a first-person shooter machine, 
it never quite felt as good as like something like Halo or any of the realistically the Microsoft um, Xbox ones that they had. But whenever they went to PSP, they thought, well, if the PS2 wasn't really made for a first-person shooter, but we still pushed to do that, why do we not? Why instead of fighting the fact that the machine is not good for this, why don't we change the game up to be good for what the this machine can do? Well, half of that is what Bungie did with Marathon when they made Marathon. That, I believe. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Marathon was the first game to use two different axes in a first-person shooter, one to walk and one to aim. Mm-hmm. Because Doom was always a single axis. It was you always used your your arrow keys to to walk forward and then to look left and right and to shoot forward, where Marathon actually introduced mouse incorporation in that. I might be wrong on that, but I'm about 90% sure I'm not. I, th- I think you're right. Because I, th- I think that's the reason. That's the only reason Marathon's brought up anymore or talked about or even well and if you even think about that doom didn't have up and down right they were always just directly in front of you yeah I think so doom, you had to aim by didn't just didn't doom 2 allow up and down i don't remember it's been so long um of course doom 3 had it but when you think about Boy, doom 3 up. came way later came way later uh 2004 yeah so something like that yeah i mean halo 2 came out in what oh five 2002 no 2002 no. was halo 1 halo 1 four was it four so yeah, you have that going up against it. But uh, my point here is with the Killzone thing is that whenever Gorilla, which I also like this, Gorilla, the original developer, also made the PSP game and the PSP game Killzone Liberation because PSP wasn't good at shooters, even though plenty of people tried. <laughs> it's the same with the DS. Yeah, it, plenty of people tried, but I will say Metroid, Metroid uh, uh, Prime uh, Hunters, Prime Hunters was all right, best. Yeah, it was all right. It was, but Killzone Liberation was a top-down third-person isometric, isometric shooter, yeah, which was fun. It was fantastic. So why not do that? Why not take a and be like, hey, you know what? Let's see, okay. Another example, not even in shooting thing, is recently they completely changed up the Darksiders series with Darksiders Genesis by putting us in a third-person, you know, over the shoulder or not over the shoulder, but isometric uh, kind of a dungeon crawler style game. It's cool to do, and it, it's cool to it makes. You be able to continuously release games for lore purposes, but not wear yourself out on having to constantly reinvent the wheel on one gameplay hype. Because every game, people want to feel like there was some kind of a, of a forward motion, but you're going to get hard pressed if every game you're trying to reinvent the first person shooter wheel. So, I like that one. That one's good. Thank you guys. Good question, Cody. Good Appreciate question. It. Good answers across the board. Yep, really enjoyed them. So. Let's head over into the news. And the first thing, which most of the news is going to be stuff that I'm sure you've probably already seen, but we'll give you our thoughts on it. First thing is PS Plus games for October were announced, and users can grab Vampire and Need for Speed Payback for this month, starting October 6th. I think this is smart. Uh, Vampire and Need for Speed are very two different games. I think they're both very high-quality games. And I think even though Need for Speed Payback is the worst of the three, that doesn't mean it's bad. Uh, But... Vampire also plays into the kind of October wanting something that's a little bit spooky or horror-like, and Vampire being about vampires clearly ends up pulling that in. So I think that's a good month, personally. I know that some people will see this and think, man, but... There's an argue about this, and it's something I kind of agree with, but people are saying, what's the point of PS Now? Because these are both PS Now games that are now free. Yeah, and that is something that's been... Either PS Now has games that have been on Plus in the past... Or it's, games it, that are on PS Now first end up coming to play. It seems like, yeah, it just seems like they share, the, each service is shared in a weird way. Like, they share their games. 
Now I know this is weird, and the only way I can kind of kind of give this out is depending on when you come to PS Plus depends on whether or not these games were given to you, and depending on when you go to PS Now. Also, there is the the opportunity for you to go to PS Now without using PS Plus because you don't need PS Plus to play PS Now unless you're doing online gaming, which I would not advise to do from PS Now. No, unless you're downloading the games because yeah. they have games on there like Call of Duty or sub Call of Duties. Yeah, sure. So when you look at that basic setup. I think it is a, it's a good point as to bringing it in, but that's like saying that Xbox Games Pass shouldn't, or Xbox uh, Games with Gold shouldn't give you any of the games on Games Pass. I get it, and it is a little disappointing to see that often, but if anything, I guess this goes to show that game that PS Now is getting better. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, I think they're both really good games, but that's you know it's an interesting thing to to say and i'm almost curious if we start if we start to see the two games a month thing disappear next gen and instead we just see things like the ps plus collection like on ps5 do we start getting two games a month or do they just always keep a collection of games that they rotate out here and there i think that's what that is it's always what they're gonna keep well i think that'll always be there but do we still get two games on top of it or do we just get that which is always like a 18 games that they rotate in and out occasionally that are genre-defining games way uh, later. Yeah. Um, I could see way like genre-defining stuff being way later, for sure. I don't know. We'll see. But there you are. Take them or leave them. You don't have to get them. But I always do the thing of even if the games don't interest me at all, I go ahead and go purchase them. Just so I have a stupid looking. It looks like I buy tons of digital if you just go through and look at how many games I own. <laughs> but uh, next thing up, PlayStation and Doritos are teaming up to give away a PlayStation 5 and thousands of other PlayStation prizes. Those interested in participating can do so by purchasing promotional packs of Doritos and entering your details on the promotion web, the pr- promotional website for a chance to win. That's not the only way to win something, though, as there is also an augmented reality game asking players to track down virtual Doritos bags in their local area which sounds like the weirdest dating app in the world it does you know when you're on the online and it's just like hot singles in your area just hot dorito bags in your area but that's one of your ways of getting some of the thousands of prizes if you find bags or finding certain bags can unlock one of four playstation face symbols finding all four face symbols you can win a ps5 from so, if you want to get out there and try it, I think this is cool. I mean, you know, it's just one of those things. If if I'm being honest, this is better than the $5 boxes from Taco Bell. <laughs> I love the $5 boxes from Taco Bell, though. I don't mind it. It's just, I like that there's an alternative route that's still more interesting than just go to a website and type some stuff in. Even though the Taco Bell is trash, I love to eat it every now and then. Yeah, Taco Bell's solid. It's like Papa John's. Every now and then I got a crave from Papa John's. It's like, damn it, got to spend $30 on a pizza. That's the weirdest <laughs> thing. Is that they're the most expensive pizza? <laughs> they are. They are the most expensive for no good reason. They have something that I want to try. They're called papadillas, and it's like quesadillas, but pizza and stuff inside. Oh, we made some. Uh, we made something like that here the other day. We just got some good tortillas and put cheese and pepperoni and some other stuff into one. Made a quesadilla and then dipped it in I've, marinara. I've done that before. Like you take a quesadilla, you throw it in the pan, get it nice and warm and kind of a little crispy. Yeah. Throw shredded cheese and pepperonis, and you dip it. In, you dip it, it was in, good. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah. Or or you just microwave them. I mean, I guess, if you're just really trying to be quick. But yeah, it's better the other way. Of course it is. Okay, next thing up here is some of the big news. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of you already have very hot opinions on this. But Insomniac and Shoney. Shoney. 
Sony shared more details on the Spider-Man 2018 remaster available only as part of the Miles Morales Ultimate Edition. That's already one of the controversial opinions. Uh, The game has a host of graphical and performance upgrades to more than just resolution, which is now 4K, depending on whether you're playing on the performance or graphics mode, or frames per second, which is now at 60 frames per second, again, depending on which mode you are in. The city's environments have been completely changed up with new models and materials for services, bringing ray-traced reflections and ambient shadows to its now more densely populated streets. PS5's more specific tech here is also getting used, with the game implementing spatial 3D audio on compatible headphones, optimizing, which I'm going to take a step back. On compatible headphones is interesting, because that may mean that what Cerny was talking about during that tech talk about it being able to be even done with 3D audio from your computer, uh, from your computer i guess computer speakers but your tv speakers as well may not be ready at launch which he did kind of give a hint at yeah it may come later so and that's fine like for people is. for people that don't know 3d audio is just a very fancy way of saying binaural audio which is an even fancier way of saying higher quality surround sound that's all this uh, all is uh, i don't quite it, think so it's because surround sound it, with more depth that's I mean, it, it, is. it is to an extent, but I think surround sound and gaming has always been a lot different than movies because in movies, you're completely making an audio profile that would be the same every single time, right. whereas in games, it's got to be something that's constantly in motion, but also another and that's problem, what makes it hard. Another problem there is, is there's no real, real 7.1 surround sound that's wireless in a gaming headset. They'll say like 7.1, it, it's emulating it. It's not actual surround sound. And that's another thing is that people will get their their boots creamed when they when they hear this for the first time but then if you actually had like a wire like an astro astros can actually do surround sound yeah, because they're, they're wired, wired and they're fiber yeah so it takes a lot to push optics, that information but, out that's, the, yeah. that's part of it and that's what people don't realize um honestly i can't think of what they're called but it's the headphones i got that i'll never use not another pair unless it's oh, breaks the and new ones that you were telling me? version yeah they're phillips they are $79 on Amazon, and they set, they are probably some of the best-sounding headphones. Now, they've also converted me to open-ear headphones because I'll never wear closed-off headphones again. Okay. I do not like – I don't if – I can, if, I can, if I can help it, I should say. I don't like uh, closed-off or closed-back, but um, they are amazing um, headphones for the price. And let me see if I can pull them up right here real quick. They'll be one of the first ones. It's the uh, Philips 9500s or the SHP 9500s. Um, like I said, they're like $80 and they sound fantastic. And then you could go buy a mod mic or a, um, I forgot what it's called that I have, but it's another, it's another mod mic style thing you put on your, your mic and it, or you plug it in your headset and it just works perfectly fine. The, the, the next upgrade though is the $150 set. That's the ones I want next. The only thing about those is they run a little hot, like on your ear. Well, it's just the material they have. They're 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 the other ones are are like the softest mesh in the world, and this is that kind of memory foam. Yeah, gets hot on you. Anyway, next thing up from the 3D audio, the other PlayStation Tech it's using is optimizing for dual senses haptic feedback and adaptive triggers, which I imagine that will actually be pretty cool. And I figure that's also, of course, Miles Morales's thing. And I figure a lot of this tech is. Implementing it in Miles Morales and then going, since this is based off of the engine and everything we were using, now we can backwards put that in. Or it was more than likely being developed alongside the PlayStation 5, and then they took the stuff that they were putting in from um, Spider-Man Remastered and were able to move it up into 
Miles Morales. Yeah. That's probably what we're really seeing. But uh, we're also seeing, of course, near instant loading that has been teased for some time. Again, throughout PS5, little hints that we were giving. Is that on a timer? No, it just does it every now and then to release some stream. That's creepy. You could see it better if the if I'd ever closed that window up. It's it's the sun's coming around the back of the house, <laughs> so it's bright again. But that's okay. Um, but yeah, they've talked about that for a while when they were showing off the Spider Man could load in point eight seconds, and yet we've never seen it since. I'm uh, so we'll get on to this here in a little bit. We'll definitely see. <laughs> that's part of it. But yeah, we'll get into it in a little bit. Uh so all character models also received an improvement with individually rendered strands ran, rendered strands of hair. I cannot talk today. Uh alongside more detailed eye, teeth, and skin shaders, one character in particular, our titular Spider Man or Peter Parker, receives a controversial all new character model that they plan to utilize going forward with the series on PS five, meaning Peter as you knew him from PS4 is no more. The reasoning given for this change up is to better express voice actor Yuri Lowenthal's facial capture through a closer model match. Some new suits are also included, such as the amazing suit from the Andrew Garfield stint as Spider-Man and more. That is a really interesting thing. So I think the weird thing here about the the skin is that immediately this brings the obvious question that you've probably seen if you've been following this. A lot of people ask, if your goal has always been to have a better, closer facial match to your facial capture of your voice actor, why would you not just use your voice actor's face? Well, Laura Bailey doesn't look like MJ. No, she doesn't. But here's part of what people have been doing for a long time. Definitely something we saw through PS3 up into PS4. A lot of series that came a long way. So, right, we see Kratos. And part of what they did with Kratos is you see him as you always seen. And actually, a better example, realistically, is Uncharted. Saul, you played Uncharted 1, 2, 3, and you've seen some, oh, you've seen some of 4. When you think about it, Every single game, Nathan Drake actually looks quite a bit different. Yeah, but he especially. always looks like he's it because the tech got better and better. Yeah, but it always looks like they were at least making him look better and slowly changing with each character model to eventually get to where they could be very realistic. Yeah, part of what you saw with that is by the time that the fourth game rolled around, I would argue that Nathan Drake looked quite a bit like, while still being unique to himself, voice actor Nolan North, and that's because they did facial capture and voice action, and all the motion capture all from, at once. It went from digital to, to very slowly but surely going to facial captures. Yeah, which they had always done the the uh, performance capture, like the actual body. Right, but not capture. the actual facial but capture. But they moved the... and moved and moved and got better and better to where every iteration of the character looks similar, but if you really put them side by side, they look massively different. Yeah. But it's, a, it's not about making it look exactly the same in the moment. It's about you seeing the new character model and still going, that is still Nathan Drake. You're right. And what they've done here is actually really similar to longtime PlayStation people, or at least through PS3. If you remember when Infamous 2 was being teased and talked about, and they even did the big Game Informer cover spread, because they were doing a huge leap in technology between Infamous 1 and Infamous 2, and I do mean huge, they wanted to change up Cole's character model, and they changed his face model alongside it. And suddenly Cole went from being a bald guy with very distinctive features because of that to having hair and looking entirely different. And there was so much backlash that it prompted them to actually return and have a character model by the time the game shipped that looked exactly like a upgraded version of Cole. And if you need to, do you know what I'm talking about? Did you ever see it? No, I'm going to look at it right now. 
It is. Oh God! It is massive, massively different. Well, that's so cool. if you've never seen it, go check it out. It's very quick. You can look up a infamous two Cole original comparison. No, so he did have a little buzz that look. It? That's it right there. He kind of almost looked like DMC Dante. The thing is, is that looks kind of like Cole with just uh, no with with hair. But that was not. I, I promise you. If you really look at the original Game Informer, let's see, Infamous Two Game Informer cover, because it shows him with the that hair right there. Because that don't look like Cole at all. It, probably. I'm, your laptop's a little angled, but see. Oh no! That's does that not, look like Cole to you at all? No, no. and that's what I just showed you. Because that does. That looks like Drake. As a matter it of fact, it almost looks like. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that was one of them. But yeah, if you look at the way that stuff worked out, it was very similar to this in a very similar genre. And they went back because it was just one of those things where they had to. Because ultimately, and I know this is one of those weird things. When I say they had to, clearly they didn't. It's their art. They can do what they want to with it. Cole looks like Deacon from Days Gone right there. <laughs> kind of, I guess, a little bit. But it's the brow and the eyes. Cole is, Cole is a very distinctive character. And one of the things about making a bald character is that you tend to make sure they have very distinct facial features because the hair is not going to be a noticeable part of them. Yeah. Like, you know, part of what you expect when you see Nathan Drake is what his hair looks like. And his hair always looks very similar. So when you go to make a character who's bald, they tend to make sure they have very defined facial features. And when you change all that up and you add this new thing, it's just, I understand. I remember when it happened, I was super disappointed and I didn't like it either. Now I didn't take to online and say, uh, change it or whatever. That was also a very different time, but yeah. And apparently from what I'm understanding, that's what's happening right now. People are telling him to fix it, go back to the PS4 model. Here's the thing. It's an interesting thing to look at. The character model in and of itself looks a lot better because it's higher detailed. And, of course, it's running on PS5 with much more detailed way that the light reacts to the skin and everything. Boy, if that ain't the perfect live-action Cole pick. Right? (laughs) So I think that this is an interesting thing. Because this is being announced so much closer to launch, I don't think they're changing this at all. No. Um, And they better not either. I I, I can't stand when people – like, it's, it's meaningless backlash. Now, this is a character that's been around for 10 years, sure. Don't change him up well, and, and then don't listen to criticism. Part of the reason I bring up Infamous is it's very analogous to this. There was one game prior, and then there was a huge tech jump between it and the second game. And with that brought the idea of, since we're going to have more detail, let's change up our character model now. Because the thought process for a lot of people is, well, we've only had one game. We can change him and it probably won't be as big of a deal and then as we continue forward we can do this which yeah, actually this is going to be a series I, i'm not going to spoil games. infamous 2 but the fact that they were going to change a character model for a single game which as you'll know if you've seen second son does not feature cole uh, i don't know if they always had the intention of potentially having cole's last game be 2 yeah if that was always the case there's a point why why, why redesign them anyway See, one of the things i imagine with spider-man is that they're thinking this is the first we only have one game with this character model we have an opportunity to change him for of course peter's going to be in miles morales now he's not gonna be the main character but he's going to be in it and that's what they're using and this is going to be his character model for spider-man 2 and potentially spider-man 3 moving on but I understand where they're from. It's, the, the, it's this idea that you've only got one game and maybe some DLC that lets you see the character this way. But from the fans' perspective, you have one game, the introductory game, that made you fall in love with this character. And suddenly, that excuse me, that character doesn't even feel like he's the same character. 
I'm not thankfully, saying that either way is right or wrong. Thankfully, I had no connection to Peter Parker in that way. See, one of the things that brought up is why did you? What connection did you have? Was your connection formed primarily through the Spider-Man as, aspects of the game, which is the majority of the game, seeing him with the mask on, or was your connections very much to who he looked like with the mask off? I'm still laughing. I'll bring it up again. I brought it up in Discord. Somebody on Twitter said his original model looked like an Until Dawn character with a William Dafoe wig. <laughs> I will say it did. <laughs> one thing I liked about his original model in idea, but not in practice, uh, because it just looked odd in practice. Is I liked that his hair looked more unkempt in the first in, in the original one. Like you know, the new model, the hair looks perfect. That made him look older. It did make him look older, but it also it, outside of that, it made him look like he had his life less together. Well, see, my thing- and part of this game story is that this is a kid who's being evicted because he's not been paying rent. He's running to from to and from place to place and can't balance his personal life with his professional life yeah, with his superhero that's life. something they never get down in movies either. Uh, I mean, you're right, but I liked an idea. Like I said, in theory, I like the idea of having unkempt hair that matches the fact that your character doesn't ever stop enough to worry about his hair. Yeah. But the way that the hair was rendered in the first game, it looked weird. It, it looked, looked like, like Lego, he was balding. Look, oh, yeah, it looks like he was balding in a Lego pop-up, uh, pop-on wig. And I think that it was just because the hair, the hair tech wasn't strong enough to give the look they were actually going for. And I will say the new hair shader looks really good. It does. But his hair looks perfect. I also. don't think this guy looks like Tom Holland, like people are saying. I see it. But I'm not. But not enough to think that they did that on purpose. Yeah, like even then, it's just I don't even see it that well. Like even in the, there's a moment in that trailer, where I'm like, that looked more like Andrew Garfield than Tom Holland. It's the way his mouth was like open because you know Andrew Garfield has that weird mouth. I would argue that the 2018 character model looked more like Andrew Garfield. <laughs> um, but I will say that he does look younger. Which, first of all, people are dumb because in the game he looks like he's 29. But he's supposed to be 23. Hours, and, that, and now people are saying he looks too, too young. And I'm like, that's how a 23-year-old looks, isn't it? I mean, to me, I get it. He looks younger. And I understand that the thing when you're looking, which, if anything... They made Miles look too old. My, Miles is supposed to be 17. I think Miles looked too old to me in the first game. He didn't even look like a 16-year-old to me. Oh, and he's 16, supp- not 17. Well, he's supposed to be, but he's 17 in the new game. And suddenly, my boy looks like he's 20. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... They've brought them closer and look, and I'm not that worried about either way. What's interesting is watching the the cutscene they shared, where you see Doc Ock with the arms on for the first time. It looks fantastic in motion. It's it's the problem of it's the it's the problem in game development that you don't always have the foresight the first time around that you wish you would have had, and you either have to stick with the decision that you don't want, or you have to make the decision you want and risk the backlash. The way people are going about doing this on the furthest extreme is not right, but I understand people being disappointed. That's all I'll say. And I'll also say that there is a clear question to be made from other people in that if you're changing Peter's look, but we have MJ who doesn't look anything like Laura Bailey. Just don't put her in the game at all anymore, please. Then why it comes down to the thing of if you're going to have MJ be in these games as a character model, would you not make the same change for her? Let's just can, can MJ get the Gwen Stacy so I don't have to have another MJ stealth sneaking area again. <laughs> I liked MJ in the first game. I just didn't like I the stealth sections. Yeah, yeah, that was fine. <laughs> but then when you have to play as her, that's another pace breaker they had. Anyways, either way, that's where we are with that. It's interesting, but of course the other side, and this kind of comes into this next um, 
a little bit later in here, actually. It comes in one of the last pieces that we're going to talk about. Uh, but the next thing we're going to talk about first is some Japanese influencers, including renowned publication Famitsu, were given time with PlayStation 5 preview units, all disc-based. So if you were looking to see anything about the disc list, they were not available for these preview units. Uh, and were able to share some information from their experience with it, as well as some direct feed gameplay from a couple of titles. So some interesting finds from it is that the system can be hardly heard, which was noted by multiple people, which should hopefully quell a lot of the worries about fan noise carried over from the PS4 which we all know constantly has the the jet stream <laughs> meme being given about it. Yeah. Uh, of course there's that. Um, the DualSense's new light bar design isn't nearly as distracting as some people felt the PS4's was and feels better than the PS4 with the bottom of the wraparound showing a certain number of lights depending on your controller you are connected to the system. So this is very similar and reminiscent of the DualShock 3 where Depending on if you're first, second, third, or fourth player, there were a number of red lights on the top that would fill up, yeah. and they had a number by them. I thought that the, the, uh, the DualShock 4 looked a lot better moving that, or taking it off the top, but I thought it was weird they never actually put it anywhere else. Not that it would necessarily matter, but I think it's cool to have that bottom space be utilized for that, because if you all set your controller down and they all look the exact same, isn't it nice to know which one's yours? Say you're playing a, a game of one of the party games they have. Uh, what's that game we did? Uh, Valhalla or whatever. Brawlhalla? That's what it oh, was. Yeah. So you all set, like, say we're playing it in here. We all set our controllers down on the table. We all go off for 20 minutes and grab some food and come back and start playing again. Suddenly you're like... You're a big dumb, dumb poopy head for not realizing where you put your controller in the first partially, place. But it's, it's a thing that's why not have it, you know? I mean, there, there's a way there reasons why not to have it. Well, why not? More battery life consumption. Those little three lights could take a battery. Well, I mean, not any more than the light you already have around the rest of the controller. Can't, can't tell if your battery's uh, what battery level is that if it's dead from lights. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually think that would be interesting. Is instead of well, I guess you may not be looking at the controller, but it would be interesting. Sometimes I hate when my controller battery is low and it comes up with a big thing on the screen, and I'm like, <laughs> like a trophy pop. Yeah, yeah. kind of. It would be kind of interesting if they would just flash the battery symbol real quick, and then you'd see a little red flash at the bottom of the bar. Because it gives you the same basic information. My whole thing, though, is I I like the lights on the PS3, but I like the fact that when you hold down the PS Home button on the PlayStation 4, it shows shows you the battery life. It's not like they didn't have it anywhere. Yeah. 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 So. It's something I just never need to know because it's readily knowable. True. You know what was real weird about the PS3? Was that all the move components and whatnot would be considered controllers 5, 6, 7, and 8. I could see that, actually, because they're peripherals. Yeah, and it was like, we don't want to take up one of the one through four, definitely since some of the games are two to four player in move, and it's like, okay, so we're going to have it be... Was there ever a move four player game? I think so. I'm trying to remember. There was definitely a lot of two player games that were really fun. Yeah, I remember two player games. The uh, Sports Champions game was so fun. Me and Jonathan spent hours playing that. And you'd have four. You'd have the... uh, You'd have a... Of two motion controllers, so you had to have four motion controllers, and you'd swing with one, and you'd bring one up, the other one up as a shield, and it was a really fun sword fighting game. The fun. ping pong game was really fun, and, if, and you could do crazy hits where the ping pong ball would catch on fire and fly. Uh, there was it was a fun game, really. I liked across the I board. I actually think I remember you showing me that ping pong game at your old house. It was super fun, man. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so outside of that, though, uh, interestingly for Japanese players, the X button will now be utilized as the confirm button across all regions instead of being split to circle button for Japanese ter- territories as it always has been in the past. Why? I can only. Why is there an issue with that? I can only imagine that this is an effort because, again, 
They're trying to unionize everything. Globalization. Nope. And they want the globalization to globalization colonies. <laughs> I think that part of that move is wanting to manufacture one PlayStation. The because what would happen? Calm down there, Mr. Jones. <laughs> One of the things that would happen with the Vita, as you saw, the PS4, as you saw, the PS3, which they had ways around it. You could go into the menu and change it, but you'd manufacture one that had it set up with an OS that was different. So you kind of had a different SKU specifically for Japan so that that would be pre-built into it. Now you won't have to have that. I still think it's weird, and I wonder how much backlash you'll get from Japanese media from this. What I saw didn't seem to be that weird. Oh, I... But Nintendo has still kept theirs that way so our good buddy on twitter uh no fate he was saying uh interestingly how sony is continuing to take input from the west more than the japanese side the, the east i guess technically well i guess you could call it the east but yeah the thing is is that realistically japan is such a small section of their market but it's their home market but it is their home market do you really want to lose that or are they worried they're going to lose that anyway think about it they do the same handhelds continue to be more popular in japan they do the same thing with censorship Ghost wasn't censored near as much as some JRPGs that have some booty in it, like Devil May Cry 5. I could damn near see my boy's dick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Getting out of the hot spring and then getting a little hot spring. (laughs) (laughs) Either way, it's interesting. Lastly, though, these users were not able to control which games were played and when. All of that being handled by the Sony representatives, so the UI remains a mystery. I said no fate. I'm sorry. I get. I don't know why it's just... I get these two. Twitter I'm assuming people. Gideon. It's Gideon. Yeah, I, I get the two, the two, our two Twitter buddies, or two of our Twitter buddies, mixed up from time to time, and I don't know why. I had a feeling it was Gideon, but I was. It's a, like when I call you Joe when we play online games. Yep. Anybody who doesn't know that that's that's been a long running thing. I can't. I, I can't stop it. I don't know why. We'll be playing with Joe and Brett. I'm like, hey, Brett, come here. I'm like, oh no, never mind. I mean, Joe, come here. <laughs> So the last thing we're going to do today is talk about something kind of like what we used to do, where we have a general opinion piece that we kind of bring to the forefront, be the last uh, section of the show, and probably we'll end up having the community's take be based around this as well. But Forbes put out an article that I think Saul has pulled up, mm-hmm. and it was an article talking about Sony, and the basic part of the opinion article is that by context of being in the same industry as Microsoft and Microsoft still being their primary competitor. The article's title is a narrative of Sony and PS five as anti-consumer is starting to take shape. And it's by senior contributor, Paul Tassie. It's a well-written article and I don't necessarily agree with, I don't necessarily disagree with what he's saying, which is that the narrative is being formed. He's not, he's doing what I think is smart in in journalism and where He's not taking a side. Most of his opinion is left out of this, yeah. uh, even though it is... I, I don't even know if I'd call it an, an opinion piece. I mean, it is technically, but it's an opinion about the he's taking, grand market. He's you know? taking a general internet opinion, and he's showing it, showing you on how it is becoming true. Yeah. So I do like the article. I think it's well-written, and it's worth reading. But I think it does bring up an, an interesting point of, of conversation. So Chris, one of, the, uh, you know, one of my co-hosts on uh, Midweek Matinee, God, I really can't talk today. But we were talking about it the other day uh, alongside Blake, who had shared it. And we were talking about what it means and how much we did or didn't agree with the overall opinion that it is talking about that Sony is or is not uh, anti-consumer right now. And Saul, me and you haven't really talked about this near as much. We've talked a little bit about certain things that Sony has done and how it compares and contrasts with, and stuff like with, that. with them. Yeah. And we've talked about even like their most recent thing of saying they believe in generations. 
And saying that at the very opportune time of Microsoft announcing that for the next 18 months to two years, all of their games would be cross-platform between Siri, our Xbox One X family and the Series family. Yeah, We talked about how Sony did that and then failed to mention in that same thing of we believe in generations that at least the first two big exclusives coming from very from well-known franchises were going yeah. to be cross-platform. Uh, so I'll tell you how this is taking shape. And yeah. it's taking shape purely because not only, and this is irrefutable in my mind, this is without doubt true. Xbox is not only having the better marketing, they're having the better public image as of right now. Mm-hmm. And here's why. I was talking with Josh about this on Twitter, and this is what I brought, got brought up back when we were talking about Japanese influencers showing off stuff about the PS5. I said it last week, and we'll say it again. Why are influencers and Twitter users showing us stuff about the PS5 while Microsoft is sending units off to IGN, to Digital Foundry? They're giving me facts about this console, load times, the way it looks, the way games run on it, everything that I need to know about this console five weeks before launch, and I still do not know what the UI of the PS5 looks like. If I'm investing $400 in this machine... And I still don't know anything about it other than what it looks like and supposedly how fast the SSD is. I don't have proof. It is incredibly frustrating. And as in comparison, without doubt, you cannot say this as a normal human being and say, no, well, Sony's doing it almost better than Microsoft. No, Microsoft is doing it miles ahead. And that is not subjective. That's objectively when you're putting out a product, they are showing it off better. They are making it more accessible to see what this product is about. I think the wording to use here, because there are subjective things within that, but I think the very the most objective part is that they are showing it. Whereas they are Microsoft, showing whereas it, yes. Sony is not showing and it. That is, and that is objectively better for in, a ter- product. in, in terms of, well, I'm just saying in terms of the general public view than to hiding the product off when it costs this much, when it's this close to launch. If this was a year ago, sure, keep it a secret. I don't I don't expect to see the new iPhone 13 or whatever before a year before it comes out. Yeah. Five weeks before it comes out? What else what else in the world does this? Name one major investment you will be making on an electronic that you don't know what it looks like five months before it comes out. So that five, is announced. I, well actually that's a weird one, right? Because what Sony is doing even though it's still not following completely. Oh, my bad. But the most interesting thing of a comparison that I can kind of do is this is a lot more like, not exactly, but a lot more like the way the phone market operates. Now, here's the interesting thing about the way the phone market operates. Uh, like what I'm waiting for right now, because I am getting to a point where I need a new phone. My battery's starting to not last. And instead of replacing my battery, I'm just going to replace the phone. Yeah. I've had it for over two years now. Right. It's going to be fine. Uh, so I'm waiting right now for one pluses event for the OnePlus 18. Yeah. Now, what they do, just like Google just did for the Google Pixel 5, is they have an event, and on the day of the event, they show everything about the phone. I mean, pretty much everything. They show you what the what the cameras are going to be, how they're different. The UI. Excuse me, the UI, if it's going to be any different. They talk about these things. All the specs of the phone. They show the phone itself. Which Snapdragon is what using. The, yeah, what the specs of the phone are. And then they announce that the phone will be available in anywhere from one week 
to, to two six weeks. Months. No, no, it's well, never maybe, that long. May, well, I was gonna say maybe with like prototype phones, sometimes get that treatment, like the Samsung Galaxy Fold and stuff. Samsung like that. Samsung events are always three months out. They don't ever their 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 events aren't like two weeks before they launch their phones. Well, most phones are like that. I could be wrong on Samsung. iPhone's not like that either. I thought iPhone was within the two like again like three to four weeks before launch. Three or four months. And I'm going off of. I'm hey, going, I, I could be wrong on that, but I know that a lot of phone manufacturers do the event and then see. sell the phone very close to it. Well, Google is a great example of that. The Google Pixel Five can be pre-ordered now, and it comes out in like three weeks. I'm going to have to see about this, but in, in, either way, yeah. And I mean, and the, the thing is, is that the phone market's so big, and there's so many competitors, and there's so many phones that it can be handled a lot differently. It's not a generational thing like we see with consoles. And if anything, I think that that begs more of a question of with consoles, they are machines that are meant to last so long, and they are so far apart from the previous ones that there is more of a need, I think, to actually go about saying, "Hey." Here's exactly what our machine does before you put this machine before you put this money down, and for Sony, right? You're right. This was nine days later they launched the iPhone 11. I thought so. That's I was very always under the assumption that it was like months, if not like. At what point can you not say weeks when it turns into like so, it two months? So here's the big difference between Sony and this right now is that. While we know there's always going to be a new iPhone coming every year, right? More or less. Right. It's, without fail, it's going to happen. One of the things that happens is you cannot pre-order the product until this event, and this event does show you every that's single kind of, thing. That's, that's kind of how Sony did. So the difference here is that so- Sony showed an event, and they showed what the console looked like, and they showed when it was coming, and they've done those two events now, and we still don't know quite exactly what backwards compatibility does. We still don't know a bunch of different things. We don't know what the UI is. There's tons that we still don't know, but we've been able to pre-order the console for a couple of weeks now, and actually the pre-orders are sold out. Now, phones instead go... On the day that we're going to show you everything is the day that pre-orders open. We what, show you everything, then your pre-orders open, so that you're not pre-ordering something that you don't know enough about. Not only that, what else phones do really well? They show, like what you were saying, they show almost everything at the conference. You get to see everything, mm-hmm. but then, but then, and this is just the way phones, you know, phones op- or phone companies operate because typically most phone companies don't have a single person like Sony does, like like what um, kind of like. Kaz or somebody to go on Twitter and, and break down this or not oh, Kaz. Sure. Um, I mean, now, Shuhei, yeah. like somebody ahead of their company that would go down and break it down. Like it, it, at one point, not too long ago, it could have been a uh, Sean Layden who go on Twitter with a Twitter video or a YouTube video and break down this console phones a week before they come out or up to five days before they come out. You have a, you, a YouTuber like MKBHD or, or MKBHD, whatever his name is. Yeah, who's been uh, sent one beforehand. Yeah, you got him. You got like your average consumer. You got... Um, Unbox Therapy. Unbox Therapy. You have these people who are giving you reviews on the phone five days before they come out. Well, it's much that's much more similar to what Xbox did. We're just going to send you a unit. Yeah. And then you can do what you want to with it, and we'll tell you what you can and can't share. Because like one of the things that happened with uh, the Xbox when Digital Foundry got sent it, which there was a great video, by the way. Uh, they got to go through and talk about a lot, not quite everything. Are you talking about the one where they did the Tomb Raider? Uh, they, yeah, they were going yeah. through what remastered games run like. Yeah. On. So again, they weren't allowed to share everything, but they were allowed to share much more. And it was interesting seeing what uh, backwards compatibility would do, because right now, this is interesting, right? That while there's a narrative, while there's you could say that there's a narrative of anti-consumer, from Sony being handed out. There's a narrative from Microsoft right now that I think is also a little unfair that 
all backwards compatibility games, <clears throat> excuse me, all backwards compatibility games, it's even one that's on the One X right now, is that all backwards compatibility games are automatically just amazing and better and so much different. Now, one of the things that naturally happens is One X can do that on games that have either been fed through the treatment needed to give it that, like Red Dead getting 4K. Is that, is that just like a, a non-educated uh, thing? I assume because, like, you know, one of the things that was going on for people for that don't second. know about tech, right, is that people seem to think that suddenly they're going to play a game that was designed with a 30 frames per second cap in mind. Yeah. And in the, in the and game, we talked about uncapped. this last week how speeds can be doubled because of its frame rates and stuff sure, like that. Sure. Yeah, unknowingly. sure. But those things happen. And there's this idea from Xbox right now. And I don't think Xbox is doing enough to quell people's expectations because here's the thing they're doing a lot and games that are designed without caps in mind and with variable frame rates and resolutions in mind they can benefit greatly from this and we saw that hitman all those games are designed with the right. ability to uncap the frame rate or they're already uncapped a great example on sony's part to show actually would have been something like right now if they would have sent the console out you could look at something like infamous second son which does have an a, a capless mode god of war has a capless yeah. mode these are games that on ps5 will likely do a lot of what we're seeing the xbox do in these videos well, i think that's the whole campaign behind smart delivery it is but the thing about smart delivery is interesting is that people think that every game is suddenly going to be for 4k 60 frames per second without well, any extra work needed done but the thing is is unless the game was immediately designed with the potential for better hardware to right. push it along then you're not going to see those those games without work being done now we are still unsure as to if that work that gets done is always free i think it is it's again not enough it's being done but i still give xbox props for making a clear idea of what their day one things are supposed to be now what's happening over on sony's side and i think in relation to this article is you, you can look and point out all the things that are going on you it, you know you can talk about the fact that right now sony is charging 70 dollars for games while microsoft is instead putting all their games day one on xbox games pass which is anywhere from 10 to 15 dollars a month depending on what you want to do that's a that's a point right there all right so even if you just want to play that game that one month you can play that game for 15 dollars suddenly at a max price and that's if you only want to play that one game, let alone the chances of you keeping the service because there's other games you want to play. Yeah. So even if you look at it in pockets, right? Say that you get the service for one game, but you keep the service for three months. All right, you spent $45 max, but in that $45 max, you played five games that you ended up wanting to like. So yeah. you've still spent less than Sony's one game. All right? Now... That's one thing. Then you have the fact that Spider-Man is not following Xbox's smart delivery lead by giving you the game with a free upgrade. Instead, you have to buy the remaster, which is not even available by itself as an That's upgrade That's the fee. problem I have with this, yeah. is that why is the remaster not available as side content? Yeah, or even, even, at a even if a, yeah, even if a $20 update. For what they did is different a $20 individual. than what I was talking about last episode, where this is actual brand new like, mocap face. Yeah, you this is game. a lot this of work. This is not just up res uh, yeah. and, and, and 60 frames or whatever and, and, and all that. This is a brand new face with brand new motion capture stuff that had to go into it. But why can I not buy that separately than Miles Morales? Exactly. Maybe I don't like Miles Morales. Maybe you know what's I'm, weird? Huh. Well, Miles Morales is... Controversial, so I'm glad you stopped me. Oh, God. I was going to say, maybe I'm racist, even though I'm not. <laughs> There are people out there... You, that will you not go, buy it because of that? You go, think? Yeah, yeah, go to some Twitter things. Like, they're ridiculous. By the way, Miles Morales is, is one of the coolest iterations of Spider-Man, and I don't yeah. think people give him enough credit. And he's one of the newest iterations, and just one of don't the most go popular. Watch, just don't go watch Into the Spider-Verse, because that movie's trash. Hey, I will slap no, you kidding, right here, I'm right kidding, now. I'm so kidding. will Chris. But more <laughs> importantly... I love that movie. Uh, so, yeah, a, a good example, right? Great soundtrack. Of that game is... Okay, Spider-Man Miles Morales is a $50 game. 
Yes. Right? Spider-Man Ultimate Edition Miles Morales is $69. So it's $20 yeah. more, right? Yeah. Why not just sell the remaster for 20 Or why not even 30 I know If you want to justify getting people, oh, I get it too. Yeah. I know why. It's because that they broke their little rule on traditional uh, exclusives. And, and, and I don't even think it's that. Or not exclusives. I think but. what this is, is this is a way to get people to spend more money on one game. No, I know what but, it is. They want people to buy the PS5 version of Miles at $70 to get the upgraded version of Spider-Man. That's mm-hmm. the only reason I think that, one of the only real reasons aside from what we talked about, why they changed Peter Parker is because like, Hey, you want to play a game that now has a new main character as a face? Because it, it, let's face it, it is or different. Or maybe you were one of the weird people that never played it on PS4 yeah. despite being interested. Here, go buy a PS5, go buy Miles Morales for $70, you get both of them. Yeah. Oh, cool. What if what if I've done that before and I don't? Well, you got to go buy it anyways because you got to go. That's the only way you could play it. Yeah. Which, you know, the it's weird, locking the content, kind yeah. of. In, in a weird way. And that's, I think, the question is <laughs> if you're going to. <laughs> If you're going to do this, I think the what makes the Miles Morales decision weird is that it's not available as an individual thing. Because I get, I think that paying twenty dollars for the remaster is fine, and even if you wanted to say thirty dollars for the remaster for the, or if you didn't own the game, twenty dollars for people who own the PS4 version who want to own the PS5 version, you can tie that to having to have the disc in the console, and then you paid a twenty dollar fee, whatever, or you can get it for twenty dollars by buying it as part of Miles Morales. So those are three sensible options, and I don't think most people would mind paying for the work there are a couple of people that are going why would i buy a remaster or why would you even remaster a game that's only two years old well clearly there's a lot of work being done in it i think the difference is massive it's happened before so i'll have to do it now i'm just gonna here's that here's what happens i was like break the charm and the spell whenever i announce it because it was a a, 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 it was a non-said kind of thing if I hate on something Sony hard enough, the Sony gods are like, no, you're a PlayStation podcast. We're going to have to prove you wrong. And then they fix it. <laughs> so and they, what, what, it was something I is- did. Like, what, it was a ghost. And I'm like, we still don't have a release date on Ghost. Sony, what are you doing? And then in that week that episode aired, we got a release date. Yeah, and you and also talked about Days Gone. And you said, and then, I haven't it's seen the same thing. about Days Gone. It so, looked bad. Sony, I haven't seen what the UI looks like. Sony, get off your lazy ass and show us what the UI is. You're not going <laughs> to do it. We're going to go all the way until console launch without seeing the UI. Now look, now they're gonna prove me wrong, and they're gonna be like, "No, this this stupid mf We're gonna go ahead and show them, so that when people go back and watch this video, they're like, "What are they talking about? They did show it." Yeah, right. So there, there. If you see the UI and it comes out on Monday or Sunday, or even Tuesday, you're welcome. It's all me, baby. So here's the weird thing about this: this switch is very essentially exact opposite to going into the Xbox One and PS4 generation. If you remember, Xbox One was the one coming off as, in context to Sony, anti-consumer. Actually, I would argue that what Xbox One was trying to do was far more anti-consumer than what PlayStation is doing right now. It is. It's anti-consumer, but yeah, it's... They're they're both kind of anti-consumer in my opinion, but yeah, you're not going to come close to it. I think what it Xbox. is is, and it's always it looks worse contextually based off of what your opponents are doing. I That's don't think thing. near That's... as many people would have thought Xbox was as bad if Sony would have come out and said the same thing. There still would have been upset about it, but I think that Sony coming in and saying, "Oh, by the way, we're not doing any of that," makes it look that much That's worse. That's what they're and doing. That's with... what Xbox is doing exactly right now. Is like Sony is like, "Well, we don't know what our console looks like," and then Microsoft's like, "Bada bing, bada boom, IGN game." spot digital fragile we're gonna send you all our console show it to the world yeah and then uh it's just it's just one of those things that microsoft is playing the strong hand now that sony played last gen 
early, early into the gen. I mean, going real far into it. If you've yeah. been on Twitter, if you remember the infamous, and I love the video, and I also loved Microsoft. Oh, don't worry. You can borrow, You can let your friends borrow yeah, games. Yeah, how do you let people borrow games? It's, and it's just a video of Shu handing, uh, uh, oh, Andy? What was his name? He's gone now. He is. I can't remember, but he was great. Alex, maybe. I'm really struggling on that name. But he just hands him a copy of the game. Like, and it was how. it was funny, yeah. You know, and it, and now what happens is after this stuff happened here, my Microsoft took to their Xbox Twitter and said, you know, hey, this here's how you upgrade games to the Series X, and it's just play the game. It's fun. It's lighthearted. What, it's poking fun of the competition. What this is good for is that this is so Xbox did have a dog in the fight six months ago. Now they are coming up as a very strong contender once again for next generation. Now, are they going to beat PlayStation? Probably not. PlayStation's fan base and, and, and user base is already so high that people leaving PlayStation for the lack of uh, content they're showing right now is slim to none. But it's good for the competition because it is giving Xbox that platform to stand up taller than they have this entire generation and come out looking like the good guys in comparison to Sony. And that's going to motivate Sony, hopefully, to yeah, do something. It definitely will. And I, I, I'm hoping Sony's not just being smug based off the numbers. I really am hoping that we get a UI. I hope we get a full system breakdown, an SSD show off like Xbox got and everything. Sure. All in the next two weeks max. If, if it is October 15th and I have not seen UI, I'm going to be scared. I yeah. can't get a pre-order anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm not getting it at launch. Yeah. I think my big thing here is that when you look at context, context does change things a lot. And I understand the point of this article, and I think it's well-written, and I think the way that it's, it explains the position is very interesting. So that, But I think where I stand on this, and I'm just going to kind of give it – what I said to Chris when we were discussing it the other day is he, he said that he didn't think it was anti-consumer. And the thing is, I don't either. I don't think that anything's done here is actually anti-consumer. That, the I Spider-Man th- thing to me is. I think the problem here is ultimately that it's not pro-consumer because pro-consumer right now is set by Xbox. So it's right. clearly not Xbox. But I also don't think it's completely anti-consumer. So I think what ends up happening is that by staying in a weird way of how they've always kind of done things – they're just being consumer right now. They're kind of in that dead middle, but because the competition is doing what they're doing, it just makes it, it, it looks, that much harder. Again, I'm not going to say I still don't view anything that they've done as anti-consumer. It's just clearly normal consumer for PlayStation in context to something that is so pro-consumer that it, it distorts that view a little. I will say Horizon or not Horizon. Spider-Man being locked away behind Miles Morales is 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 definitely the closest thing you have. It's the closest thing, and I actually think that. And I, the big thing here is. One thing I think is interesting about this gen is that I don't think that this gen right now, from where we are this close, there has not been an obvious anything that is as detrimental as what PS3 was to the PS3 gen when it came out and it was so much higher and didn't have a lot of games and whatnot. And I don't think that there's anything that's as serious as Xbox's thing. So I think that we had two generations in a row where each company made huge mistakes that really set them back in the early days. I don't think we're seeing that from either company right now to that degree. But I do think what Saul said is uh, the good thing here is that Sony's already in a position to lead. What they're doing is lessening some of that lead. But what Microsoft is doing is actually coming in at a much stronger standpoint. And what I can only hope is while it's not nearly as severe, we did see Microsoft backpedal on their anti-consumer 
you know, digital ownership rights. Uh, and then we also saw Sony eventually backpedal on that price and have to do a lot of very hard moves to get the PS3 to a competitive place. That was actually one of my favorite campaigns they've ever done. It was, what's his name? The old spokesman? Yeah, it's... Um, Something oh, Baker, wasn't it? Kevin? Kevin Baker. No, hold on. Is that not his name? But he was walking through and he's like, I've heard rumors that we're going to go down to 299 and there's 299 signs everywhere behind him. He's like, those are ludicrous rumors. Kevin Butler. Kevin Butler. Yeah. Yeah, he was like, these are ludicrous rumors about this going 299. And he hits the thing. And then, well, all the signs are already there behind him and then yeah. he hits it and then it changes to 299 again. Yeah. It's just, it's great. Um, yeah, it was a good campaign, but those things were very strong things that had positive impacts because of the feedback that they got. And if anything, I think what's going to happen here is that Sony will probably end up offering Spider-Man as an individual purchase. I'm sure they are too. My only issue is I'm it's sure they're going to do thing, it. But they're they're going to do it six months down the road, maybe, and not at maybe. launch. Because when you think about it, play, Spider-Man's as a PlayStation hits twenty dollars base price, no matter where you go on sale for cheaper. Throw out Spider-Man Remastered, forty bucks. Thirty bucks. Whatever. Well, I'll say forty bucks. Forty then, bucks even. Yeah. Well, forty bucks, and then that way, if you buy Miles Morales, you get a better deal on it. But, well, that's why I was saying thirty. Is that you have the same thing? Because of course, it being looped in with Miles is about getting it at a better price. But you're getting it at a better price in comparison you, to what? But you, yeah, you can't get it any other, any other <laughs> yeah. price. It doesn't exist. Twenty dollars is a great price for it. Well, but, that's the price of the remaster or the, the, the original game already. Well, that's, yeah, exactly. It's so, it's like you're buying it from the PlayStation Hits, but with a bunch more stuff in it, which is cool. Yeah. So that, that's but let like, me do that by itself as well, maybe extra, for more. Yeah, pay your employees for extra work, increase the price a little bit. Anyways. The hey, question has to be. I hope you guys I hope you guys liked our community take this week where Cody asked us what two studios would fuse together and won't be the dream game. Did you know that you could get in on that at our Discord? Or our Twitter over at Triangle SQRD, or our PlayStation group. Called when did we get a Discord? We a while back ago, but uh, or our, our uh, PlayStation group. I did it again. Our Facebook group is that a good name? Is that our Facebook group so. name? I, I'm gonna I, change it. I did it again. PlayStation group, but uh, oops, I did it again. But a place it's a Triangle Square and a PlayStation podcast over on Facebook. This community's take this week is: What do you think of the article? Do you think that Sony's being anti-consumer in comparison to Xbox? Because obviously they're not. But when you throw in that little in comparison, you get a little bit more developmental conversation. I guess. Which that, is good. Do you agree with the fact that there is a narrative being built? I yeah. guess is kind of the question. Yeah. Do you agree with the article? Do you think the article is is worth anything? I certainly do. Brett and I certainly do. We spent thirty minutes talking about it. But uh, yeah, did you also know that? You could become a Patreon over at Nartech or patreon.com slash Nartech and throw us some money every month to help support our studio for these these cool little decorations we try to do every year. And not only that, but you can throw us $5 a month, and in three months' time, you can get a custom case. Which we which are actually now in October. This is so. one of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't lie. That is not one of them. But we are in October, so what are we saying? Oh, uh, quarterly cases are. First up. of all, this quarter's cases are coming up, so yeah. it's gonna it's time to ask you guys again. Uh, but also, one of the things I do want to do, like we did last year, is find some game that we can do for people to watch the episode and notice something or whatever it is that we decide to do. I want to do it was a Count giveaway. Of spiders last year. Yeah, I want to do a giveaway, and I'm gonna what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give away my copy of it's a physical copy, but my copy of Kingdoms of, of Amalur Re Reckoning. So that's a sixty dollar game. Fifty, maybe it's fifty. I don't honestly remember. Oh. It's a high, it's high dollar game. We're gonna find some way before. It's probably gonna be on, on our Halloween episode that we're gonna do that giveaway and that little uh, fun three weeks thing. So you got like three and a half weeks. Prepare and uh, 
I just want to have fun with it. We, the holiday times where we just kind of goof around and have fun with the set, uh, I'm going to have to do something because I wanted it to be dark in here the whole episode, and that's been ruined. <laughs> so yeah. I've got to fix that. You so. could also become a Patreon at the $60 tier and get the game for free. So <laughs> didn't know if you know that. But we'd like to thank all of our patrons, and you can hear your names called out now live every episode by that's Brent's right. beautiful, sultry voice. I'd like to thank everybody for watching episode 182. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to our patrons, Kyle Grimm, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green, my name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Sanderud, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popst, Kevin Bacon Bits, Eric McAllister, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Stephen Swanland, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, El Chabib, Jason Clendenning, Richard Schaefer, and this is the last month for a little bit for Mr. Tyler B., but we are so appreciative of the months that you've supported us. Thank you, man. Hope you're doing well. Until next time, we will see you later. <laughs>